Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 10, a special episode of Gorilla Talk, the podcast normally about the Atlanta Silverbacks of the National Premier Soccer League. My name is Paul Scanling, I'm your host and producer, and today we're going to spend a lot of time talking about more broad topics than just the Silverbacks. We will talk about soccer in general in this country. We're going to catch up with Christian Franick. Christian has been a guest on Gorilla Talk before, and he is one of the driving forces behind the United States Association Football Congress, a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to helping promote club youth soccer all over the country. We're also going to chat with the Chris Kessel. You may know him on Twitter as the Bearded One. He is a very vocal uh, proponent of promotion and relegation and changing the structure of the sport in this country. We're going to have a wide-ranging conversation with him about his role in this and what he sees the future and how this develops here for the sport in this country. The first interview for this podcast will be with Christian Franick of the United States Association Football Congress. Welcome back to Gorilla Talk. Uh, it's been, uh, been a, a few weeks since Thank we you. last spoke. How, you, how have you been? Uh, doing, doing all right. Uh, a lot of stuff going on, so mm-hmm. you know, just staying busy with um, a lot of things actually <laughs> that don't have anything to do with soccer. <laughs> oh, I I know my my life keeps getting in the way of my hobbies. I, I hate it when that happens. <laughs> For sure, so it would talk. be nice to make soccer soccer more of a of, oh, a, I know. of a pursuit that uh, yeah you can devote more time to right. Yep, yep. Or I win the lottery, so I don't have to have a real life. I can just do whatever. I there want you to. go. Yeah, We're working on that, but I still haven't got those winning numbers yet. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your organization, the United States Association Football Congress. Uh, tell yeah. us, uh, tell us what's been going on this summer. Um. Well, at the beginning of the summer, we actually organized and and, and put it together, and were filed in uh, the state of Illinois. So we are actually a for real nonprofit organization, um, and we chose Illinois because we know that uh, the uh, USSF uh, is located in Chicago. So you know, we wanted to kind of let them know that we're around. Um, and then uh, we've been working on a lot of things as far as uh, bringing people's attention to, or, or mostly getting people's feedback on what they think the issues are that um, uh, American soccer faces, the, the most important issues that it faces. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, and let's then, start with uh, that. Tell us. Yeah. Go ahead. We have a list of, I believe, nine or ten uh, issues and if you go to the website, uh, which is a Wix uh, website for now, it's temporary until we can get something uh, a little more official up. Um, and you can get there by going to either one of our Twitter accounts or on Facebook. Uh, just type in USASSOCFC or USASSOCFS. Uh, so uh, the idea was to create number one, um a congress that would kind of be representative of um every region in the united states and then we even thought well you know every state if we can get enough representatives um 
and while we did get some pretty good initial um response to that uh it kind of has just um we're kind of putting that on hold for now as we focus on more of the issues than the representative side of it um so so that's the congress the federation is i guess for for lack of a better description just the, just the more um official uh type side of the organization and mm -hmm. if needed um you know we refer to it uh, probably not the best reference but uh, we refer to it as, as the nuclear option <laughs> if uh if things don't go well uh with our approach to um u.s soccer uh the the current federation um then maybe then maybe the one that we're creating is an option uh you know by no means is that our first step or what we're focusing on in the beginning um right creating a brand new federation but not you know it's something that's out there and people are talking about it not not just us i mean there are plenty of people talking about it in many different circles about how uh, the current u.s soccer federation doesn't serve the fans and the people and the players and and everyone really except for maybe um mls uh that well um so that's always out there so th those are some of the things we've been working on um and trying to get more feedback on the issues we've pulled uh all the issues on um twitter to to get people's feedback on what they thought was you know what they supported number one and and what they thought the more the most important of the nine or ten issues that we have uh in front of us are and i think surprisingly to me anyway um the one that got the most feedback and the most responses and votes and everything um was the one regarding solidarity payments and um to, to youth clubs as well as um compensating them for for training so that was interesting and and yeah so let's let's talk a little bit about solidarity payments um so just to clarify solidarity payments are payments to youth clubs that developed a a future professional so if somebody signs with a professional club their youth club is going to get a portion of the transfer fee as a kind of a payment for having developed that player at some point in their career uh, so you correct, you found correct. in your survey so you found in your survey that 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 was one of the most important issues and not the most important issues why do you think that is well i mean it could have been a couple of things number one it's a very important issue um and, and just to step back real quick i mean um the, the basis for these solidarity payments and the compensation for training are that that's what fifa has in their bylaws and their rules which mm -hmm. The rest of the world follows, um, but in the U.S., there's much more debate about whether we should or have to follow FIFA rules, and um, you know if it's done how how it would be done and things like that. All questions that have been decided a long time ago in other countries uh, and how they interact with FIFA. Um, so anyway, that's the background. Um, I think probably uh number one it's a big issue because uh for those that follow soccer in 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 america uh it's very uh topical uh it's very it's it's current um and uh if you follow uh what's been going on with several um youth clubs suing 
they shoot MLS or FIFA? I actually am uh, drawing a blank on that at the moment. Um, I think, I think it was U.S. soccer. I mean, not FIFA. U.S. soccer is what I meant. Yeah, uh, yeah I think US they soccer, do yeah. U.S. soccer. Um, so, uh, you know, that's been in the news, and that's been no shortage of opinions on that. And uh, And then on top of that, I think people probably are attracted to that topic because they want to know more about it, and they also want to know why is the U.S. doing this so differently than the rest of the world? And, uh, you know, is this potentially something that needs to be looked at closer uh, and potentially a change in policy and, and approach to how we, we handle it? Because it seems like it could be potentially uh, a way to, to answer some of the questions regarding uh, youth invest, investment in youth and diversity in, in, in the investment in youth. Um, you know, right. So we've got a, a big, we've got a pay to play system basically. In right. The right. And this the solidarity payments would allow those clubs to fund themselves differently. It would change the business model, which would allow anybody really that wants to to have an opportunity to to play. And I think just just thinking about it here for a second, one of the reasons I think that is so important to the country in general is that everybody has a local soccer club. There are nine thousand of them here in this country. There's one right. not far from wherever you are listening to this, so it's it's lo more local, it's more relevant. I think one of the ways that we do soccer very differently in this country is that we have these 24, 26, however many MLS clubs it is now, and everybody thinks, well, okay, Atlanta United is your closest MLS club, therefore you have to be an Atlanta United fan. So, well, no, but there are a couple hundred soccer clubs close by, some of which I might have a personal connection to. My kids are right. too young to be playing playing youth soccer. My, my son is four, my daughter's six, so they'll be there pretty soon. But I got friends right. that play for Smyrna Soccer Club, and I drive by their headquarters quite frequently. And, right. and I, every time I drive by there, I think, okay, that's that's. I got a friend whose son, who's ten, plays plays for them. And so every time I drive by there, I think they're part of a system that doesn't allow them to maximize their revenue, that doesn't allow them to really develop and do what they possibly could want to do. I read a, an article recently that said that 90-something percent of the of the youth clubs in this country want to have more. They just can't afford it because the system doesn't allow them to get that revenue to to get promoted into upper levels to to, to play more regionally, do all all those sorts of things. But I, I really think that would be uh, why I think that issue would be so so relevant to everybody. Yes, and, and there's some real changes going on in the youth system, and, and, and many of the changes need to happen. Um, some of them, you have to question whether it's for the better or the worse. Uh, one being which the, the MLS is starting to, to aggressively develop their youth academies, and in some ways, that's pushing potentially or, or or forcing independent um, youth clubs to, to, to do some things. And one is uh, figure out, as you're talking about, you know, where they're going to have a better revenue because MLS academies are going to have uh, a built-in system where they can, where they can invest, where the, where the MLS club can invest in the youth club, obviously for the development of players. Um, so how do these independent clubs how do these independent clubs uh, compete with that type of uh, 
outside or or investment from those academies. So, um, you know, I could I could see that being very detrimental to youth clubs in this country. I know Atlanta United uh, is not developing a youth organization. They essentially bought one, and they're uh-huh. pumping a lot of money into it. And that's that's great for the kids that are going to be there. But right. there are several hundred other clubs here in in Metro Atlanta, some of which have been around for decades. And how mm-hmm. are they going to be able to compete with the pocketbook of Arthur Blank? Right. You know, I don't I don't see I don't see that being good for everybody, and not everybody's going to be able to get into Atlanta United system. So ultimately, fewer kids are going to be pumped into that system. And if you're pumping fewer right. kids in, you're pumping fewer kids out at the at the other end. And I don't right. think that's good for the sport. Yeah, I think there kind of needs to be a uh, um, a real deep dive into how uh, independent clubs, because I think they they do have a they do have an audience that they can serve. And uh, like you said, you know these MLS academies are not going to be able to serve everyone. And so there again, you know we talk about pay to play, where you have uh, kids on the outside, you know, looking in. That'd be the same situation, just just mm-hmm. from a different approach uh, with MLS academies. So these independent academies uh, need to figure out a way to um, not just exist, but uh, and, and survive, but also how to grow and and fit into a system that's more competitive now. And I think one of the ways is is one of the issues that we have that that we came up from feedback from people, which is maybe clubs and academy independent clubs and academies need to really reach and, and the problem is there's there's not a lot of reaching out um really need to reach out to middle schools and high schools and figure out a way that both of them can help each other and provide more opportunities for more kids that to to advance through soccer while they each use, you know, the competitive advantage that each of them has. A club and an academy has coaches that are much more qualified than any school does. And schools have fields and other equipment that could be used by clubs and academies. Well, why in the world wouldn't those two those two interests intersect? You know, yeah. there's an opportunity yeah, sure. to, to, to really give um, – the communities and the independent clubs and academies that are parts of that those communities an opportunity to to really make a difference. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you you talked earlier about you know best case scenario versus the nuclear option. Let's talk about the best case scenario. What what is the end goal for the organization in best case scenario? What's well, that best path case look like? Yeah, I don't know if there if it's an end goal. It's probably a, an ongoing uh, project. <laughs> um, you know, just to just to kind of um, you know, being a nonprofit that has the fans and and the players and and the people who aren't owners of the leagues and uh, as our primary interest. Um, I think what we in the beginning what we're trying to do is come up with a list of of topics that are most important. To, to to American soccer and um, we have come up with an initial list and the idea is to really um, go through the that list and flesh out as many of the issues and and things that uh, we need to come up with a really good plan 
um, to present to uh, Sunil Gulati and the U.S. Soccer Federation and uh, see what their response is, if they respond at all. Um, so the best case scenario would be they respond. And uh, the best case scenario beyond the responding would be that they have they have some real ideas. They're taking into consideration uh, what the feedback provides and come up with some new approaches to old problems and things that people are uh, very concerned about and that are to some detrimentally uh, affecting uh, American soccer. So what do you think it's going to take for them to respond? Because hey, I'm going to use an analogy here of the, the college football playoffs that started just a few years ago. You know, we, okay. college football fans have been clamoring for a playoff in, in Division One a for decades. And it finally happened. I think it finally happened because the people that held power in college football, those major conferences, those big schools, the, the TV networks said, look, we got a good thing going here. Why would we change it? And they were finally convinced that having a playoff was in their best interest as well. That was when they said, oh, we could do this and make even more money with adding, frankly, just adding three football games to it. You're taking four teams out of the, the bowl system and putting them into three more games that supposedly get good ratings. I know last year the, the, the ratings for the semifinals were way down because they were on New Year's Eve, but they'll fix all right. that. But I right. think I think what got college football proponent, playoff proponents, what got them over the hump was they figured out a way to take to tell the NCAA, here's how much more you could benefit from this than you are benefiting now. Yes, you're benefiting now. I think U.S. soccer does not do a good job of serving fans, doesn't do a good job of serving clubs, especially below the MLS level. I think they do a great job of serving those multimillionaire, billionaire businessmen that run the MLS clubs that are invested into soccer united marketing. Right. How could how could some of these things that we want to see happen be uh presented to them in such a way that they say, "Oh, it's in my best interest to do what he says to do because I'll make more money or whatever other motivations they may have." Uh well, that's an excellent question and um the answer to that, I think, is not only having uh, a very clear list of issues and topics as well as uh, proposals, but also to um, make sure that those proposals include some very clear analytics about data and uh, that can be collected about um, fan engagement, um, you know, uh, other leagues that uh, run a more open system and the benefits to that and, and what can be gained from doing that. And oddly enough, I know you're in Atlanta. Um, I spoke with a fellow who is in the Florida panhandle, but is starting uh, his master's at Georgia Tech. And he specializes in these types of, um, these types of data analytics. And so wow. we are going okay. to, to, to involve him more uh, as the issues um, present themselves for that type of analysis. And we're going to have him, uh, you know, run, run analysis on, on the data and, you know, what he comes up with will include with what we provide to U.S. Soccer Federation. 
and uh, it's apparently a good opportunity for him as well because this is specifically not not soccer, but but that type of analysis, and the fact he's he's interested in sports analysis, um, so so it fits right into what he's doing at Georgia Tech, and it fits right into what we're doing and trying to present a very clear um, uh, um, summary of of the issues and and what all is in, involved. That sounds great. I, I want to talk to this guy. He's yeah, right down the road we should actually. Me, so that'd, that'd yeah, once we uh, once we get some more um, some more uh, feedback from him, um, so he has more to talk about. Uh, but he ran mm. uh, recently some really interesting interesting uh, data analytics about uh, um, which teams are best situated to uh, move to Division One MLS. And it was based on, on many different uh, uh, data points than you typically would have imagined. And I, a lot of people didn't agree with him, but it made a lot of sense to me and uh, made a lot of sense to him. And uh, him being the expert, uh, or soon to be, um, it seemed to have some value. So once uh, once I talk to him again, I'll, I'll let him know about you and maybe y'all can have a little, uh, a little uh, introduction and, and uh, you can have him on your show. That'd be great. I'd, I'd love to do that. Any, anything else I can do to help spread the word and get the word out about uh, about what we're trying to do here. Um, okay. You know, it, the unfortunate thing about being a Silverbacks fan is that since we were essentially relegated to the fourth division, our season lasts about two months long. So that gives me 10 months with uh, uh, <laughs> having to find things to talk about to have a podcast. So I think I'm kind of branching <laughs> well, out into those issues that are relevant to the Silverbacks yet or more much more broad-based issues more national level issues that i think directly affect the silverbacks you know there there are lots of reasons the silverbacks are now in the fourth division and the structure of the sport in this country i think is the number one reason they have fallen that far and until that structure's changed i don't see us getting out of the fourth division which as a silverbacks fan long time silverbacks fan that's very frustrating to me I want a season that lasts more than two months. Mid May to mid July was just that's not enough for me. Um, even my kids are my my son, my four year old son, keep asking, "Do the Silverbacks play this weekend?" No, son, they don't play again until next spring. So uh, that's that's it's kind of it's kind of it gets a little frustrating there. But he's four, you know. You ask questions yeah. over and over again. I'm I'm used to that. That's, so um, that's your quality quality time there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it's important to me to, to, to find those topics and help get the word out, kind of become a, a podcast voice. You know, we, we're, we're all involved in that, that, uh, that Twitter uh, direct message conversation about how we can do these things. And we, we've talked recently about diversifying what we're doing, not just using the hashtag on Twitter, but writing, writing blog posts and getting on, on podcasts and, and, and kind of getting the word out. And I'd kind of like to to use my platform of Gorilla Talk to to help get that word out and keep the conversation going and add more people to the conversation and try to try to get the ball rolling a little faster downhill than it uh, already yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we all understand that. Um, I don't know anybody that has this as a full time job. So, you know, we do what we can when we can, and there there'll be peaks and valleys. But uh, the idea is to just you know keep your head down and and keep trudging forward. You know. And uh, yep. Yep. sometimes you get some breakthroughs, and, and that's what it's all about. And uh, so yep. appreciate everything that you do. Uh, it's so important that we have uh, uh, opportunities like this. So I appreciate it. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for giving up a little of your lunch hour here this afternoon. I do appreciate it. And, Absolutely. Uh, we will be in touch again soon. I hope to, to have you on again, have a few more people on, get the uh, get the word out about this topic, and uh, and keep the ball rolling. That sounds great. And uh, I'll send you a list of uh, of people that that might be interested in being on your show if, if that's what you want. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great if you could do that. That'd be so wonderful. So we'll just keep, keep the momentum going, as you said. Yep. All right. All right. Well, well, thank you very much. It. Let's get back to work. Be good Maybe talking to you. Take here. care. Continuing our theme of covering topics, we're going to talk to another person very active in the Pro Rail for USA conversation. This is Chris Kessel. Welcome to Gorilla Talk. With us is Chris Kessel. Uh, you may notice him on Twitter as the Bearded One. Uh, very active in the Pro Rail for USA conversation on social media. So Chris, glad to have you here. Thanks for giving of your time. Well, thanks for having me. So as uh, as I talked with Christian uh, earlier in this episode, uh, we are expanding Gorilla Talk a little bit since our season is only two months long. That gives me 10 months of podcasting material to come up with. So uh, being active in the Pro Rail for USA and the reforming of the structure of the sport in this country, I uh, wanted to give platforms to as many people as I can to kind of help spread the word. So tell us your story. Tell us why you are so interested in in this type of change? Well, actually, um, it all started by being a men's national team fan and um, discussing the men's national team online and uh, talking about, like, I actually was a am a Columbus Crew fan as well. And um, mm-hmm. we were trying to get mixed discarude you know to come to the crew and uh thing i didn't really understand how player acquisition worked and uh anything like that and i was just asking questions using the crew hashtag and stuff like that and people were explaining how mls player acquisition worked and i was dumbfounded i had no clue you know what i mean i just watched (laughs) games on tv and you know just like most other people you know what i mean and uh, yeah most fans are like that right yeah yeah most fans are like that you just watch the games and you go to the games you have fun you're not worried about how the sausage is made you know what i mean and mm, exactly um, so they people were explaining how it worked and then i'm like well this is ridiculous you know and then i start talking about like we need better players and things like that and uh you know basically it's like well why don't you know, then you start researching why the academies aren't better. And then basically one day, you know, I'm talking about we need better academies, but, you know, until the club's life depends on developing better players, you know, they're not going to invest in the academies. And, uh, you know, everybody's favorite or least favorite pro-rail advocate, you know, Ted Westerfeld hit me up and Mm -hmm. said, you know, started a conversation with me, and I was like, you know, I would love to see it. And he was like, well, loving to see it isn't going to be enough. You have to try to make it happen. You have to care enough to try to change the structure. And I was like, you know what? That makes perfect sense to me. And that was the day that 
me becoming me becoming a pro rail advocate happened. I mean, it was that simple. Okay, so you had an encounter with Ted that was positive. A lot, a lot of people, and I've had several encounters with Ted. In fact, he's been on Gorilla Talk, and he was fantastic as a as a, a guest on the show. Um, but he gets a little caustic, and and I think I think he's kind of limited to, you know, 140 character Twitter limit. But um, I, I've had a couple of conversations here in the last couple of days that seem to go on and on and on, basically because I was bored. I'm I'm in between semesters. I'm a college professor, so. I didn't have a right. whole lot to do, so I thought, what the heck, feed the trolls, have a good time. Uh, but I, 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 especially after about an hour or so, it, it was very difficult for me to not go to the dark side. Right. And I think he goes to the dark side some sometime soon. So in that national conversation that we're having, um, what's going to take it beyond us just having a national conversation? What do you think has got to happen? Well, I think that uh, it, it's funny. I had a conversation like most people do that, that talk about promotion relegation. You know, I think that it's going to take the different organizations, you know, involved in sanctioning lower level soccer in the United States, whether it's USASA, which many people don't know sanctions every, you know, not every, but most uh, adult amateur soccer in the country that includes NPSL and PDL. You know, they, a lot of people don't realize that your local little Sunday league, you know, that you just pay your, you know, 75 bucks to be on some random team is sanctioned by the same people that sanction, you know, Detroit city FC, you know what I mean? And it's going to take somebody like that stepping up and saying, okay, we're going to gather in these, thousands of clubs that already exist in the United States because 9,000 clubs, youth and adults, exist in the United States already. And we're going to create a structure. And, you know, I think that once people involved in these levels of soccer realize that, hey, there's a lot of us out here, you know, there's more of us than we think there is. And, there's a lot more people involved in this and there's a lot more people that really care about this than we think, you know, we're not alone. It's not just us out here in Atlanta or us out here in Charleston, West Virginia that care, you know, we're all over the country and, you know, there'll be strength in numbers. I think, you know, if right now, every one of these lower division leagues is, you know, what, between 10 and 85 teams, you know, or less than 10 and 85 teams, whether it's the NPSL, you know, or it's the uh, American Premier League, or it's the, you know, Evergreen Premier League of Washington or Texas State Premier League or any of these other great leagues that are doing great things out here. When all of these people are banded together under one banner and they're, they say, okay, this is what we're about. We're about promotion and relegation. We're about giving clubs the chance to find their natural level, whether it's up or down and find the level of investment that their community can handle. It's going to be eye opening to everybody involved in soccer, you know, in the United States. And uh, I think that that'll, that'll be, that'll be an eye opening experience for people. Yeah. You hit on something that I think, that I think it's what bugs me most about not just MLS, but the way we do sports in this country. Um, you, you talked about people all over the United States. 
And to me, that yeah. means more than just the 20 something cities that happen to be in MLS or major league baseball or the 32 teams in NFL or, or whatever. I was born and raised in Columbus, Georgia, and we mm-hmm. played single A baseball. And so I would go to, I'd go to professional baseball games, but they were, you know, 19, 20 year old kids who were mm-hmm. looking to advance on. And that was fine. But as, as a, as a Columbus native, you're, you had a major league team, which in my case was the Braves, been a lifelong Braves fan, but I wasn't from Atlanta. It wasn't really my town. In many ways, I felt more loyalty to the Columbus Astros than the Atlanta Braves, even though it was a single A team because they were, you know, a couple miles from home. I could go down there as a little kid. Even when I was nine or 10 years old, my parents would let me ride my bike down there and go to a baseball game. You know, it was, it was that sense of community that you don't get when you go to a 70,000 seat dome stadium and, and, you know, it's just, it's a totally different feel. Um, I am also a part owner of Portsmouth team that used to be in the premier league. Um, Mm -hmm. is now in league two is in the fourth division in England. And I see, albeit from a distance, I see a sense of community there that I don't see in sports here with the possible exception of some colleges. You see that with college football and college basketball. That was actually the comparison I was going to make. I think that soccer is more of a community sport the way that college sports are, college athletics are. And, um, you know, I'm from a state, you know, I'm from West Virginia. We don't have, well, I mean, we have minor league baseball, just the same exact story you told. I have the single A West Virginia power five blocks away from my home. So I understand going to minor league baseball games and everything, but college athletics is the community. I mean, that's the community you belong to in your, right. in West Virginia, you're a, a, a mountaineer or you cheer for the Sunny herd of Marshall or you're one of the many number of D2 schools all throughout the state. And, uh, you know, that's where your sense of belonging is. And I feel like soccer is that same, that same thing. You know, every community will have a club. And it's just like, you know, their colleges spread all across the country, large and small, and every one of them has a fan base. You know, you might be, go to a D2 basketball game, and there might only be three or 400 people there. But those people care. You know, they, they care about that school and how it does because they're a part of it. They might have went right. there or it's in their town, and that's the way that soccer clubs are, and that's the way they would be if every club had a chance to be everything it could be. I mean, think about right. it. And I, I think basketball that's... has, what, 300-plus schools. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a chance to win a national championship. No matter how mm-hmm. remote it is, everybody can win a national championship. Right. Win your conference title, win your conference tournament, win the net, win, you know, you got to win 10 or 11 in a row, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's very, very doable. I, I would, I would go back and do one caveat on what you said. I think soccer clubs could be that in this country. I think yeah. if it was set up like, like, like we're talking about, it's not there yet. I think you see some pockets about that. Right. I, I'm, I never cease to be impressed by what's going on up in Chattanooga right up the road that they can right, get yeah. 10,000 for, for a D4 playoff game. Right. That, I, yeah, that, I just, totally that agree. just blows me away. They can do that. It, it will get there if the system changes. Like currently I agree with you because it's not because we have a, a, a PDL team here, the West Virginia chaos in Charleston. And, uh, you know, so I, I'm well aware of 
you know, going to game, you know, soccer games that there's only 200 people there, you know what I mean? And seeing that people are just going just to go because they like soccer, you know, and people don't really care. But, you know, if that was our community's team, you know, people would care. And I don't, I think that a lot of, of people that aren't proponents of changing the system, I think that once you talk to them, you usually find, not always, but you usually find that they're from the quote-unquote major league cities, and they don't understand what it's like to not have, you know, an NFL team or an NBA team or a whatever team in their city. You know, they, they kind of feel sure. like they're owed that just because they live in a city where four, four million other people live, you know. Right. Yeah, so I, I I see that at Silverbacks games. I see, you know, there, there's a there's a core of people that are there wearing Silverbacks shirts, jerseys, caps, scarves, what what have you. Uh, but I also see the dad walking by with his two son, and dad's wearing a Manchester United jersey, and one son's wearing a Chelsea jersey, and one son's wearing a, a Manchester City jersey. And I, and I think to myself, okay, you you like the sport, and that's great that you're here, but I want to see those kids in a Silverback shirt. I don't, I don't want to see them in, you know, you would never see that in England. You wouldn't right. see at, at a game for involving two teams and you're wearing within your family, you've got three other jerseys on. I, I see that and I just go, wow, we're doing this wrong. We're, because, well, and, and part of it is that we exist in the global market. They can watch those teams live in HD every single week. Mm-hmm. For nine months, they they start here in a couple of days, and so I, I think that's one of the huge mistakes MLS has made is they didn't realize that they they have to compete in a global market because we start watching soccer matches on Friday afternoon and all day Saturday, and then here it is Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, and then these matches are on and they're the quality's not as good. So why would you watch them? The TV rating right. we've watched soccer all weekend, and the and the TV ratings I think reflect that they're they're not even getting 100,000 people watching the last couple of weekends and their ratings have just been awful. So yeah, I, they I have think definitely tanked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, and it, I, it, I, I can't explain is, anything. Your analogy is perfect. Ahead, I mean, you know, like that if, if in, I, I feel like if the clubs don't have, you know, if the fans don't have any reason to be attached to their local club, I mean, it's, going to be very hard for a local club made up of a different roster from year to year you know because most clubs in the united states you know are of this npsl pdl level i mean it's, there's 160 of those and there's only what 70 pro teams so the majority of markets in the united states the majority of cities in the united states you know their local club is you know a team like the current silverbacks it's only there in the summer. It's made up of a transient, you know, player base. It's, you know, college kids for the most part that aren't from the community. You know, they come for one season, maybe two seasons, and then they're one for somebody else. There's no, like, there are no fan favorites. They're not there for long enough for the kids to become attached to the, you know, to become attached to the players and say, oh, man, you know, when I was a kid, I loved so-and-so. He was there for five years. He helped us win a championship and get promoted. He saved us from being, 
you know, relegated, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's very hard for these clubs that exist in such a, uh, you know, short with such a short season to um, become entrenched in the community. That's why the stories like Chattanooga and Detroit are so amazing that they're able to accomplish these things without having full seasons like you talked about. Like, I can watch a Premier League team or a Bundesliga team every weekend and learn every player and, like you said, watch the games in HD in the comfort of my own home all year, you know, for you know, nine, you know, nine months or more. And, uh, and grow to love those players and those teams and, and be, you know, in just totally entranced by the storylines and, and everything. And, you know, my local PDL team, you know, if I miss two games because I got to work or something, I missed a quarter of the home games. Yeah, yeah. We played five home games this season and one playoff home game. That was it. Yeah. And I had, to, I had to work, so I missed, I missed three of those six games. Right. Just, you know. Work, work, life got in the way sometimes. Yeah. So, how do we get from the the 160, uh, you know, essentially for lack of a better term, Division Four teams, you know, those PDL and and NBSL teams? How how do we get from that to the ideal situation where anybody could say, "I'm going to go start a team in my Sunday pub league," and after X number of promotions, we could play at the top flight. How do we do that? Well, you know, it, in my mind, I think that it's going to take visionaries at these these lower levels with long-term plans. They're going to have to say, this is the first step we're going to take, and we're going to give structure to all of these leagues, you know, that we – and I, I really honestly think that USASA, the you know, the United States Adult Soccer Association – that sanctions all these D4 and, you know, below amateur leagues is going to have to be one of the main drivers in giving structure to the lower divisions. And, um, you know, they're going to have to set up these regional, you know, for lack of a better term, elite premier amateur leagues, you know, eight of them, 16 of them, plus how all the existing leagues feed into them and everything. And then I think that it's going to take vision and risk sticking your neck out, you know, by obviously NASL to um, allow for there to be promotion leading up to them. So there's obviously going to have to be the creation of intermediate leagues that are, would be the equivalent of USL, you know, and, like NPSL and leagues of that level are going to have to go full season. So there's going to have to be some creation of leagues that are sanctioned by USASA that are outside of the pro model, you know, because D1, D2, D3, you know, they have all these requirements for ownership, you know, group valuations, primary owner valuation, market size, stadium size, all that. But at D4 and below, there are none of those requirements. So I think that this USASA is going to have to create the structure to become club incubators, basically, so that these clubs can build themselves without having to have tens of millions of dollars worth of investment. And then NASL is going to have to stick their neck out and create a way for teams to be promoted and relegated into them 
through this intermediary pro league, and then they're going to have to file suit against USSF with FIFA in the court of arbitration and have FIFA stick their head in and hope that they win the case. And, uh, you know, FIFA says you have to do this or we're pulling your national sanction. You know, I think that that's the, the logical, the, the way that I can see as the way it happens. You know, once yeah, so started- a couple of things about that. First, Galati did a fantastic job of politicking in this last FIFA election, basically uh-huh. protecting their position. Um, yeah. So that uh, favor, whatever, has to be withdrawn or or, or this guy needs to go away at the ethics committee like every other person involved with FIFA. Um, end up in jail or on trial or whatever. Uh, but the but the first steps you talked about, the, talking about taking NPSL and PDS uh, or PDL and uh, developing a structure. I had Joe Barone on. He's the chair of the NPSL. Had him on an episode mm-hmm. one kind of introduction to the league since it was our first year as just an NPSL team. Uh, wanted to introduce him to uh, our, our listeners and let our listeners learn a bit, little bit about the league. He talked mm-hmm. a lot about how there are 86 teams this year. They're going to be over a hundred next year. And that many, many teams are clamoring to have a, a college student division, which is exa- essentially exactly what it is now. And I have a first division in PSL that would be longer season. He wouldn't go into specifics about how long or, how all that would work, but he was saying within two or three years, that's going to be the reality in the NPSL. And I'm thinking clubs like clubs like the Silverbacks, clubs like Chattanooga, clubs like Detroit, clubs like uh, the Cosmos B that have uh, players on them that are, that are not interested at all in college eligibility. Most of them are too old to be have any college eligibility remaining. They've used up their college eligibility or they played in college and this is where they're hanging on. Uh, developing that into a a tier of the NPSL that could then feed into the NASL. I talked with him about his comments of, uh, a little over a year ago. He was quoted in one of the British newspapers as saying that uh, promotion and relegation within NASL is eventually the goal. So I think, at the very least behind the scenes, they've had some some chats. Commissioner Peterson and, and Joe Barone have both had some chats about, you know, Four or five years down the road, where do we want this to be? Now, I have to say, especially in the last couple of weeks, I have become very nervous about the future of the NASL uh, right. with Rio and their mess. Uh, Minnesota United's leaving. That'll be the second year in a row that they're probably going to lose two teams. And they're gaining mm-hmm. only one this season as opposed to the three they gained this year. So right. I'm really concerned about the future and viability of that league. I know they are at least under the table, actively pursuing several of the USL teams that are not B-sides, not MLS B-sides, you know, the, the Rochesters of the world, those 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 sorts of teams. Um, mm-hmm. I think they would have to poach a lot of those teams in order for the league to be viable um, and, and continue to meet all those USSF requirements. But I could right. definitely see a relationship developing between those two that would turn into some sort of promotion relegation. And it may turn out that there needs to be a level between a division one NPSL and the current NASL, which is fine. So, so, you know, work all that stuff out. I think all that can be done and I think it'd be done fairly quickly. And I think once people realize, Hey, there's a path to a really high pro level, 
I think that's when investors go, okay, I want to get in on the ground floor. Where's the ground floor? Where's the cheapest place for me to do it and build it my way and build it right? And right. I think that's how that, I think that's how that starts. I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think that something you just said right there is one of the most important things that's going to have to happen. There's going to be, have to be a path clearly laid out how it's going to work, how we're going to get there, you know, and uh, how can investors start here and end up there? How do they get from point, you know, from point A to point B? And, um, you know, that's why I think it's going to be very important for, you know, the, the lower divisions to sort themselves out to kind of jumpstart the whole thing. Because if we wait for, you know, the, you know, the closed NASL, because, I mean, it is currently a closed league, you know, mm -hmm. as much as it is independent clubs and it is, you know, better, you know, in the sense of it's closer to the world game um, than MLS is with single entity and things like that and salary caps and all, you know, all that, you know, it still is a closed league with franchise fee, you know, with franchise fees and, you know, somebody owns the league, you know, and until we get to a point where independent clubs, you know, just contact the sanctioning body, which would be whoever, you know, USASA for these amateur teams and say, okay, we want in, what's it cost to sign our team up and register our players, you know, because even PDL and NPSL, you know, you still have to pay a, a you know, PDL has a reported $75,000 franchise fee. I mean, that's still a pretty hefty amount of money. I mean, you know, realistically you could draw, I mean, you could run a, you know, a regional team for, a couple of seasons for $75,000. And that's just the mm -hmm. fee that you have to pay to jump in. So, I mean, until, you know, everything, all of the lower divisions are, this is exactly how we're going to do it. This is the sanctioning body. Nobody's trying to, you know, become rich just by owning a league, which is what, you know, the owners of MLS and the owners of NASL did. I mean, they were trying to make money by selling slots in their league. Until we have, you know, a sanctioning body, which is where USSF should be, you know, what they should be doing, but they aren't. And we all are aware that they're not. So somebody's yeah. going to have to take their role. And while I can see why a lot of people would want an alternate federation to start and whatever, you know, we have, uh, you know, the USASA can step right in and do it right now. They already exist. I mean, but that's why... At the beginning, like I said, it's going to take somebody with vision and to put their neck out on the line to really make this change and try to be the driving force behind it. And I think it's going to have to start at the at the, the lower divisions. I just the the, the longer it goes on, and um, like you said, with the uh, instability in NASL and the, the continued growth of USL and, and MLS, and the the further entrenched the closed leagues get. The more I think that the uh, the you know change is going to have to come from the lowest levels of soccer in the United States, you know, and it's going to have to be from the independent clubs in every town and city all across this country. You know, they're going to have to band together and say, no, this is how we want it to be. 
you know, and um, and this is the way it's going to be. You know, here we are. You're going to have to deal with this now. Here, here we are. Here's four or five hundred clubs banded together now. You know, deal with this. Yep. Well, I hope the Silverbacks can be a part of that. I hope that this uh, trust we're putting together to try to invest in the club can be a, a driving force behind some of, some of that. So uh, we need to get our get our ducks in a row and and see what we can see what we can accomplish here in the next few years. Yeah, I, I do too. Uh, you know, I think that fan ownership is uh, is you know a wonderful thing, and I wish that it was a uh, you know a a viable option at even higher levels than, than, you know, the amateur clubs that, that are able to do it now, but obviously, you know, USSF has roadblocks to, you know, making that next to impossible, but, you know, fan ownership has worked in Germany, you know, better than, you know, better than independent ownership as you, you know, or, you know, private ownership has worked yeah, in most places. basically required. Yeah, yeah you, you fan, fans have to own fifty-one percent of the club, at least fifty-one percent, and most of yeah. them are much higher than that. Yeah, yeah. and I, th- I think that's a, a great model to follow. Yeah, makes I, it, I do too. Makes I it totally an actual agree. team that that's local rather than you know owned by some corporation. Like for instance, the Atlanta Braves are owned by a corporation that's at, based out of Colorado. Right. Same t- same organization that owns, I think it's the hockey team in in Denver, the the Avalanche, and maybe even the Nuggets. I, maybe not. I'm not sure about that, but I know they own some right. sports teams in Denver as well. So not exactly right. a, a local organization. Yeah. Well, Chris, I do appreciate your time. I thank you for uh, giving up a little bit of your Thursday evening to come on the podcast and uh, share your thoughts and ideas and things. And uh, uh, give us a, uh, did I get your uh, Twitter handle correctly? What, what exactly is your Twitter handle? It's uh, Z Chris Kessel, T H E C H R I S K E S S E L L. And uh, you can actually find my blog at um, prorailforusa.blogspot.com. And uh, just make sure you use hashtag prorailforusa anytime you want to, you know, join in on the conversation on Twitter or just, you know, search the hashtag and find out what everybody else is talking about. And, you know, a lot of us try to post interesting articles, you know, daily that, you know, so that uh, people that are new to the conversation can learn about what's going on or see why we think what we think about how it will improve, you know, soccer in the United States. And, uh, you know, thank you for having me on. It was, this is uh, actually the very first podcast I've ever been on and I appreciate it. Well, you did a great job. You, you come across very well on, on the podcast. I get uh, a pretty wide range of people who are comfortable speaking or not comfortable speaking. So, <laughs> It's always interesting to see what's going to happen. So appreciate your time, and we will talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you. A bit of a different episode for Grill Talk this time. Episode 10 focused on some broader issues as they potentially relate to the Silverbacks, both as they've gone down the leagues and hopefully in the future as they go up the leagues. Big thanks to Christian Frank for giving of his lunch hour a couple of days ago. You can find him on Twitter. You can find his Twitter account for the U.S. Association Football Congress. The Twitter account is at USASSOCFC. Also want to thank Chris Kessel, the Chris Kessel. He is, of course, at the Chris Kessel, T-H-E-C-R-C-H-R-I-S-K-E-S-S-E. 
LL, and he is known as the Bearded One, both very active in the conversation about reforming the sport in this country. Thank you so much for listening to Episode 10. My name is Paul Scanling. I'm the host and producer, marketer, etc., etc., of Gorilla Talk. Going out with little Elton John today, not because I'm a particularly a big fan of his, but not only is he a part-time Atlanta resident, but like this song says about Silverbacks, I'm still standing. Cut me down And if my love was just a circus You'd be a clown by